I want to thank, thank Carl and his helpers for this uh, children's message. Um, we don't have junior church or kinder church yet. That may be coming back in the coming weeks. It hasn't been decided yet. But, you know, I want to say something along that line as I begin the sermon. You know, it's very important for Christian families. And John Piper, if you, I could send this to you if any of you are interested in reading on it. You know, John Piper makes a case that our children need to see their parents worshiping the Lord. The children need to be able to see their parents worship the Lord and that this matters. You know, and oftentimes we just subdivide the church so much. So this is an opportunity for parents to model family worship, whether at home or as we come back, even modeling family worship at church. By the way, there's another thing, and Russell Moore's done writing on this. Um, he's the head of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Coalition, which is a Southern Baptist thing. But, you know, there's studies that show that when you're bored, good things are happening. And, 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 and children even need to be bored. And most of the time, we do not let ourselves or our children be bored anymore. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mercedes says, I'm bored. I say, good. You know, if she says it again, I'll give her a chore to do, especially as she gets older. You know, um, I've heard somebody, I think Kevin told me, he could never say he was bored as a kid because his dad would give him something to do. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with being bored. There's not, you know, there's nothing wrong with that type of thing. So, but also I believe the Sunday morning worship is for, ought to be for all ages. And we need to encourage all ages to, um, to try to participate and stretch themselves. You know, there are some churches... I've already started, so I'll finish this thought, and then I'll move on. That subdivide the Sunday morning worship, all ages. High schools have their own class. Even high schoolers, they have their own, their own, their own, worship, their own worship service. So high schoolers and junior hires are separate and everything like that. But it, it really breaks up community. But I didn't go to church until I was in high school. I went a couple times a year, maybe one more, maybe three times a year. And I started going in ninth grade, and maybe it's just who I am. I love the sermons. And, and, you know, I, I was taking notes. My pastor was preaching on creation, and I thought, wow, this is good. i got to write these things down. This is really important. So um, sometimes we water things down too much, and we dumb things down too much for kids. When I was a youth pastor, somebody who had been a youth pastor before and was a denominational leader, he said, you know, these junior hires are learning multiple languages at school. They're learning advanced math. Why do we think we have to dumb things down so much for them? And so it's just, that's my philosophy there. We could talk more, but we will be bringing junior church and kinder church back in, a, in the coming weeks at some point. But I wonder, as we begin this sermon, do you ever pray for humility? It's, you know, in the first century, it was something where humility was never looked upon good. Like, if we say of a leader right now, whether it's a, a po political leader, or a businessman, or a salesman, or a, whoever, if we say they're a very humble person, that's a compliment now. In the first century, that was not a compliment. When the Apostle Paul talked about humility as a good thing, in, in the Greco-Roman world, it was not a good thing, okay? Do you ever pray for humility, though? Many times, we may not, and many times we don't grow in our faith much because we're not humble enough. We've got too much pride. It takes a lot for the Holy Spirit to work through that pride. Uh, one of the greatest phrases, things I've heard Dallas Willard say, it was in his book, Renovation of the Heart. And he writes about why are Christians so mean? You ever think about that? Somebody wrote an article, which I saw shared on Facebook uh, about a month ago. And it, was called, and it was titled, Why Are Christians So Mean? And Dallas Willard said, they're so mean because they have to be right. They always think they have to be right. I admire people that can share articles on Facebook and, and people start just 
arguing with the article and they don't even respond. That's really good because me, I always feel like I need to respond. Just let it go. I don't admire the disrespect and anger that I see out there. Just outright meanness. What takes humility to be able to say, you can say what you want. We can disagree agreeably. We don't have to be right. Now, sometimes in my honest prayers, I think, but Lord, I am right. So, and maybe you think the same thing. It doesn't matter. We're not going to convince everybody. We have, and sometimes you can disagree agreeably. Paul and Barnabas disagreed agreeably. And because they did, after Paul's first missionary journey, they parted ways and the gospel went to two different places. And they even had reconciliation. Paul and John Mark had disagreement and they even had reconciliation. And the Lord worked through that. So that's extra I wanted to share before I get into the sermon. We're going to be going to James chapter 4 in a minute. And as you turn into James chapter 4, let me share a few thoughts. Do you like snakes? I absolutely hate snakes, okay? It is a fear. You want to see me scream? Let's walk out in the field. If I see a snake, we'll have the highest pitch, whatever that is. I hate snakes. And I hate spiders too, by the way. Spiders seem to follow me. Wolf spiders. I hate wolf spiders, but I hate snakes. So I read, me and Indiana Jones, we agree. We both don't like snakes. A newspaper reports of a taxidermist who was bitten by a frozen 10-pound rattlesnake. That's a big rattlesnake. He w- this taxidermist, Robert Herndon, he buys poison- poisonous rattles, uh, rattlesnakes, he freezes them to death, and then he markets the preserved remains. And he usually tapes their mouths when cutting, but he missed the tape this time and he was bitten. Now, I hate snakes, but I love to watch shows about snakes on TV. Those snake hunter shows, they fascinate me because they're so dumb. Like, these people, how do you get that close to snakes? What's that one? I forget the name anyways. But I heard this story when I was in seminary, and I'm going to assume it's true. There's a woman who had a pet snake. It was called a boa constrictor. Ever heard of them? A boa constrictor. And the boa constrictor outgrew its cage. So this woman, because she was so smart, she decided to just let let the boa constrictor wander the house, you know, like you do with a house cat or a dog even though it's a boa constrictor. You know, like they eat big things. Well, one day the boa constrictor quit eating. And after a few weeks, she thought, I wonder why it quit eating. I better call the vet. Okay, I'll call later. Well, it's during the afternoon and she takes a nap. She wakes up and she finds her boa constrictor stretched out, laying right next to her. And she thought, oh, that's so cute. The boa constrictor wants to cuddle. I better call the vet since the boa's not eating. So she calls the vet and the vet says, You need to get rid of the snake. The snake is not eating because it is preparing itself for a big meal. And the reason it's laying stretched out next to you is because it wants to see if it can eat you. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but I do know that when I was in Belize, Central America on a mission trip, they do have boas. And I talked to somebody down there, and they said, yeah, they do that. And this guy just casually said, yeah, I found a boa trying to eat my chicken a few weeks ago, and I just cut it with a machete and, and killed it. You know, if I saw a boa, I want to find a gun so I can stay far away. I do not like snakes. Well, we have the same problem with the world, though. This woman who had the boa constrictor thought that she was safe. She thought that she was safe with the boa constrictor. She was all around it. She thought she was safe. We think that we are safe with the world. We're around the world all the time. We think we're safe. We live in the world. We think it is not harming us. But in reality, the world is influencing us. And the world is harming us. 
We're going to look at James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. And I intend to show you that James' main point is that we must submit to God and not the world. We as Christians are called to submit to God and not the world. The world is trying to affect us, but as Christians, we need to have a biblical worldview. Mercedes made me proud a few weeks ago because she said something is not our worldview because I keep trying to impress on them. We need to get our values from the Bible, not from the world. Christians are called to have a biblical worldview. We all have a worldview. It needs to come from the Bible. So my theme today is Christians... Don't be guided by the world. Don't be guided by the world. Let's read James 4, 1 through 12. James writes, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. That's hedonism. We'll come back to it. Verse 4. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Verse 5. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Look at verse 7. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one, capital O, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you who judge your neighbor? Now, allow me to start by connecting this passage to last week's passage. Last week, we talked about two types of wisdom. In James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, we had uh, talk about the tongue and what we say and how we talk. In James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, James wrote about two types of wisdom. And I believe that James is still talking about two types of wisdom. We need the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world produces disorder in every evil practice. The wisdom of God produces purity, purity, peace-loving, considerateness, submissiveness, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. The wisdom of God produces the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Remember last week we talked about how we need to test ourselves. Are we following God's wisdom or the world's wisdom? James is still writing about following God's wisdom. Now James is going to show them that their problems are because they're using the wisdom of the world and they need cleaned up. And maybe some of us have the same problem. Maybe some of us need cleaned up. Maybe some of us are not submitting to God. We're submitting to the world. Let's move to James 4.4. I'm going to reread it. Look at verse 4. He's quite pointed. He says, You adulteresses, 
Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You hear that? When you make yourself a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. James says that friendship with the world is hatred or or hostility toward God. Remember, when the Bible writes of the world, it is talking about the world's systems, the world's culture, the world's religions. And let me tell you, everybody has some type of religion. It might be, it might be um, materialism, it might be something else, but everybody has some type of religious view. Um, I once heard Chuck Colson, I love listening to Chuck Colson, and he shared, uh, he defined culture as cult of the populace cult of the populace, the religion of the populace. When the Bible talks about the world, it's talking about the culture of the world. And the Bible always talks about the world as in contradiction with God's ways. It's not the same. Right here, he's talking about friendship with the world makes us enemies of God. The noun for friendship with the world can also mean love of the world. This is the same word by which we get Philadelphia. Brotherly love is the Greek word phileo. That's where we get the noun for friendship of the world. We must not love the world or its systems. We need to love the people of the world. We don't love the world's systems, the world's culture, the world's ways. Those are in contradiction with God's ways. Look at the rest of the verse. James says, anyone who is a friend of the world is an enemy of God. That's a really strong statement, isn't it? An enemy of God. Think of it this way. The world's systems are sinful. Sin is against God. So what is it like if we are befriending sin? It's not good. You ever pray that God makes you see sin the way that he sees it? Jesus died to set us free from that sin. Why do we just casually go back to it? 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says that the devil is the god of this age, a little g of this age, meaning the devil is the god of this world, little g. The devil is and has been trying to take what is God's. We must realize that whether or not something is wrong is not relative to opinion, but to Scripture and the Holy Spirit's conviction. The Bible speaks objectively into our lives and tells us right from wrong. The world is an offense to God because of sin. Psalm 66 verse 18 says, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not listen. Sin is against God. God is too pure, Habakkuk says, too pure to behold sin. Now, because of our friendship with the world, we have disorder and evil. Look at verses 1 through 3. If you have your Bibles open, go back to verses 1 through 3. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? Verse 2, you lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. And then verse 4, you adulteresses. We're thinking, James, tell me how you really feel. You adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility, enmity with God? James uses a literature structure called a diatribe. A diatribe. A diatribe is a bitter, sharply abusive denunciation. That's his literature device right here. Notice the repeated questions. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Now notice the repeated sentences that start with the second person pronoun you. Look at it. If, you're, if you've got your Bibles open, look down at them. You kill and covet. 
but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend them, spend what you get on your pleasures. What a picturesque passage. You really want something and you are, you are willing to go to the extremes to get it. And are we much different? The term used for pleasures right here is where we get the word hedonism from. The doctrine of pleasure and happiness. And in this passage, lust, fight, murder, have, ask, battle. They're all verbs. That means they're action statements. The way of the world is about sin and self, and the way, of God's, the way of God is about his ways. We need to serve God and not the world. We need to submit to God and not the world. How are we doing with it? Are we befriending the world? Are we submitting to God? Do you look at sin and think, oh, well, big deal. Do you condone sin? Do you, do you try to excuse sin? Notice the great links that we try to excuse sin. Notice the great links that we try to justify sin. When you're watching television and you see disrespect for parents, how do you feel? Are you offended? God is. Pray to God that you can see sin the way that he does. This is very interesting. Evangelism, fine as it is, is not revival. Listen to this. After a successful meeting, Billy Graham was asked, is this revival? Billy Graham replied, no. Now listen, when revival comes, he said, I expect to see two things which we have not seen yet. First, a new sense of the holiness of God on the part of Christians. And second, a new sense of the sinfulness of sin on the part of Christians. You hear that? I, I think Billy Graham is totally right right there. When revival comes, we ought to see a new sense of the holiness of God on the part of Christians. And a new sense of the sinfulness of sin on the part of Christians. And we're not there. When you see the total, complete, awesome, amazing, magnificent holiness of God, you recognize everything that is sinful is an offense to that great and awesome holiness of God. And by the way, I'm teaching Revelation in Sunday school, and um, we see that. God's wrath comes down on anything that is unholy as God makes things right. We see it throughout Revelation 6, 7, 8, 9 with the trumpets and, and, the, and the, um, the other thing. I didn't plan on saying that. Karen would know. And then in Revelation chapter 16 with the final, the final seven vials or bowls of God's wrath, we see God's holiness pouring out his wrath on anything that is unholy as God makes things right. So now let's move on. Let's look at the antidote to the pollution from the world. Look at verses 7 through 10. This is the antidote for the pollution from the world. I'm going to reread them. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Notice how he says this. He says, submit yourselves to God. Submit to God rather than the world. You are all, we are all submitting to something. And we are all submitting to something in a spiritual way. Submit to God. That is the antidote. That is the cure. Submit to God. You know, submit could also be translated be subject. Be subject to God. You see, many times we want God to be sovereign but not in control, don't we? 
(laughs) We want God to have the power to be in control, to be sovereign, but we are not willing and ready to be submissive to him in a day-to-day way, are we? We want him to be sovereign, but not in control. I heard a great illustration about this. We need God to be in control. So if, if you picture your spiritual life like a car, you need God to be driving, which means we need to be in the passenger seat. But can passenger seats control the car? Can passengers control the car? Yeah, they can, can't they? Passengers can still be navigating or saying, do this, do that. So we need to be in the back seat. Let God drive. We are in the back seat. Ever heard of backseat drivers, right? I mean, my kids are like eight and six, and they're already telling us we need to go certain ways and do certain things different. Megan did something. I forget what it was. It just came to mind. And Mercedes said, I want to tell dad (laughs) something about, there was no accident. It was some type of driving thing. But it was funny. Backseat drivers. So we need to be in the trunk. (laughs) Let God drive our spiritual life. Let God be in control. Be subject. Be submissive to God. James references the devil. Submit to God, resist the devil. Notice it's that order. Submit to God, then resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Ephesians 4.27 says, don't give the devil a foothold. 1 Peter 5.8 says, the devil goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. James could be saying that the devil has something to do with our problems. Do we try to resist the devil? Do we try to resist the devil while not submitting to God? I bet we do. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from us. Sometimes we might have to resist the devil in a continual way. Sometimes when we're doing that, we're realizing we're not submitting to God. It goes in that order. Submit to God, then resist the devil, and he'll flee from us. Then look at verse 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. People have asked me before, I don't feel that close to God. And then I talk to them. Well, are you going to church? No. Are you going to Sunday school? No. Okay, listen, if you're not connected to the church family, I would dare say, in general, you're not that connected to God. Now, sometimes you have to do virtual worship because of times like this, and, and God will serve you and minister to you and help you during in that way. Sometimes you're a shut-in and you can't go to church, and I think God will still help you with that. But sometimes when we are willfully not connected to the church family, we are going to be separated from God. If you're living in sin, you're going to be separated from God. If you're not spending time with his word, people ask me, I don't, I don't feel like I can know God's will. Are you spending time in his word? No. Are you spending time in prayer? No. Listen, we nurture our relationship with God through these spiritual disciplines. And they're corporate and individual. Corporate, Bible study, Sunday school, Sunday morning worship, individual Bible study. We need individual Bible study too. We have an embarrassment of riches in our Bibles. How many Bibles we have. The Bible is illegal in so many other countries. People are getting arrested to take the Bible to North Korea or to China or to other places. And we have them. Spend time in his word. If you have trouble reading, guess what? There's free audio Bibles available. It is amazing. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now look at the next phrase. He's very direct. He says, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This phrase is reminiscent of the Old Testament prophetic books. This is about ceremonial cleansing. We need cleansed from our sins. We must get rid of the sin. And and, and you may ask, how are they double-minded? They are trying to have both the world's wisdom and God's wisdom. They don't go together. That's called syncretism. 
Syncretism. It doesn't go together. You cannot sync the world's ways and God's ways. You cannot sync other religions with Christianity, whether Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness or Eastern religions. It, you know, and, and by the way, this is really coming to America right now. The way that people even joke about karma, it's not a joke. They hate it over there because it's linked with reincarnation. We cannot sync together God's way and the world's way. That would be called double-minded. We need to get rid of the world. We must cleanse the world off of us and then go to God. Verse 9 is about mourning. Why? This is because they're taking sin too lightly. They should be resisting sin. They should be mourning over sin. We ought to be praying, God, show me my sin in a way that I'm so repentant that I'm mourning over that sin in my life. I don't want it. Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again. He saved me to get me from that. That sin is keeping me from growing closer to Jesus. Mourn over the sin. Humble yourselves to God. Now, before James moves on, he talks about the tongue once again in verses 11 through 12. And this goes back to our words. James is saying that we must not gossip and talk bad about each other. We must submit to God, and that means submitting to God's law. It appears that their gossip and slander was unbiblical judgment about, and, and, and God is the only judge. God is the only judge. We are told to confront sin, by the way. See James 5, 19 through 20 and Galatians 6.1, and many other passages, but we do it with God's word. When we are confronting sin with God's word, full of grace and full of truth, God is the judge, not me. If I really cannot confront sin with God's word, then I have no business confronting the sin, because God is the judge, not me. We need the wisdom of God. We must submit to God and not to the world. We must recognize the total sinfulness of sin and the holiness of God, and we must have the wisdom of God. So, do you like snakes? I think Lisa said she likes snakes. Lisa likes snakes. I'll remember to keep my distance from you, social distancing. The world is like a snake that's very dangerous. The snake is there just trying to wrap its way around you. It is coming up your legs, but it's going up slowly, not fast. It will eventually try to kill you. Not your physical body, but your spiritual the snake is the world. The world is trying to gradually and slowly take you from God. Don't let it. Stick close to God. By the way, if any of you doubt this, there are total quotes from the media, those who make movies and television, showing how they want to change our worldview. It's out there. They are trying to change our worldview. They are trying to corrupt us. The world is creeping in subtly and slowly. So we must submit to God. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Verses 7 and 8. That's how you keep from being polluted by the world. You submit to God. Resist the devil. Draw near to God. The first step, of course, is knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior. And let me ask, as I always do, do you know him? Have you committed to him? Many times we are believers in Jesus, but not really followers. We are fans of Jesus, but we are not followers of Jesus. We are believers, but we're not really submitting to him. We're still submitting to the world. And let me ask you, where are you at? Are you submitting to God? Maybe you submitted to him years ago, but you're not living for him. Maybe today you need to rededicate your life to Christ. Maybe, you, maybe today you're being convicted that you've always been the believer, but not the follower. It's time to be a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've never really taken that step in faith, trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Where are you at? 
Even if you're at home, bow your head, close your eyes with me. The Bible uses four verbs to describe our commitment to Christ. Confess, believe, trust, commit. We confess we are sinners in need of a Savior. Believe in Jesus as the one and only Savior. Trust in him and commit to him. If you're there sitting and you're thinking, I need to commit my life to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Or maybe you're thinking you need to rededicate your life. I want you to say this prayer with me. You're not saved by the prayer. You're saved by what's in your heart. But the prayer is telling Jesus what you're doing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I confess I have sinned and missed your perfect standard. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again. I'm trusting in you as Lord and Savior. I'm committing my life to you. Help me to live for you. Lord God, I ask that you help us all to live for you. Help us all every day to firmly make the decision to live for you, to organize our life around you. Lord God, help us all to submit to you, to draw near to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you said that prayer, share it with somebody today. Angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. God wants a relationship with all of us, all of you. If you have questions about God or the spiritual life, talk to me. I would love to help you out. Even if you're a non-believer, I would love to help you. I'd love to help you. So I'm going to invite Steve and Joyce for the closing song and prayer.